0: I'm Alex Mozad and welcome to winner take all where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. Today we're going to dive into a couple interesting topics. Um, one being that you have a couple stories here of nah, not incumbents, but you have uh, investors and, and traditional businesses kind of pushing back on this thing called we work. So, um, the uh, uh, current CEO of WeWork or executive chairman, Marcelo Clor. Marcelo is is like SoftBank's fixer. Basically, he was, I think, executive chairman of Sprint. And then Masayoshi-san asked if Marcelo could basically roll off of Sprint and then fix the stuff that was going on with WeWork. When the we, WeWork debacle started happening, uh, in the fall of 2019. So everyone had heard that Adam Newman had received $1.7 billion as part of his exit, the equity he owned and all these kinds of things. And so Marcello was pushing back on that and say, to say that he has walked away with over a billion dollars is totally false, said of the pay package and yada, yada, yada. Um, basically what he's saying is, and there's this other corporate governance lady that chimes in on it. Basically Adam Newman did walk away with $1.7 billion in total package value. Did he walk away with $1.7 billion in cash? No, but I bet if you were to add up whatever severance or cash payments that were made to him with his departure from the company, along with the value of his equity and the shares, even after there's a cram down, right? WeWork took an injection of capital and 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 some of the you know the investors on the cap table took a hit whatever you add that all up the guy's still a billionaire that is the point that's what the uh, corporate governance person that's blasting marcelo's comments in here but basically what marcelo and softbank are trying to they're trying to downplay that oh well he didn't walk away with the over a billion dollars i don't think anyone was expecting him to walk away with a 1.7 billion dollar check but the point is he's a billionaire. And that is still a pretty, pretty significant sum of money considering the company. It's probably only worth a few billion dollars. My, my guess it's maybe worth around $4 billion as opposed to the 40 plus billion dollars it was trying to IPO at. Now, here's the other interesting thing. Goldman Sachs, the new CEO, David Solomon, this guy loves to go and, and, and be a DJ You know, uh, on the weekends. He does a part-time night gigs of being a DJ. So David Solomon was, this was in Davos, but this article just came out recently. And he said, cause, cause Goldman was representing WeWork on the IPO. He says, you know, I'm not sure that we got it so wrong. There were things that were right. And there were things that were <laughs> wrong. Um, Basically, he goes on to say that, you know, the way the the way the process of an IPO works when your bank is you're invited in by a company, it's a private company, their numbers aren't public, they give you a model, you say to the company, well, if you can prove to us that the model actually does what this, what this does, then it's possible it could be worth this much in the public markets. I think it's a great example of the process working, it might not have been as pretty as everybody would like it to be. Yeah, I'm definitely going to uh I don't know, definitely disagree on this one. <laughs> these bankers, they want to represent the company. Goldman put money into the company. They had a 1.4% stake in the company. And so what you know what they often say is, "Hey, well, you know, we'll co-invest in the deal so we can represent the company and then we get the fees and all these kinds of things." Goldman they bought in on the story of WeWork right they would they they were definitely pitching to Adam and the WeWork executives that hey we've looked at your numbers and we think you could command x by going public, right? And then Goldman's going to put its name behind that. They're going to put their network of investors uh, that are going to then buy the stock and support that valuation, right? That's that's the package of what you get when hiring Goldman. So Goldman was absolutely, like Goldman wasn't going in there and saying, well, I don't know if you should be valued like a tech company. You, You know, it was more so probably like, well, I don't know, is it $30 billion or $40 billion or $50 billion, right? But the whole premise, the whole thing that went wrong with WeWork is that it's a real estate company that was trying to be valued like a tech company. And that doesn't take a model to figure that out. That doesn't take a model to look at the company, to look at its earnings or really lack thereof, and to look at its revenue and its growth rate which was okay, but its margins were abysmal. And for you to take a step back and you say, okay, uh, is this a technology company? Oh, or or not even just technology, is it a platform? It was, it was building itself as a platform company, by the way. We counted how many times it used the word platform in its S1, and it was a lot. So um, is it a platform company? Absolutely not. Is it a tech company? Also, absolutely not. And we called it on the show, Within 24 hours of the S1 being released and and looking at the numbers that were kind of being floated to value, this company is completely baloney. Uh, and then in the coming weeks, every, every, everything sorted itself out. But it wasn't Goldman that was sorting. It's, it wasn't Goldman going in there with the bankers being objective and saying, hey, you know what? Mm, yeah, I, I don't think this is a tech company. Um, therefore, I don't see how we could even get close to justifying a 10x Um, or, or no more like a 20 X revenue multiple. Those are platform multiples. Those aren't even SaaS tech company multiples. So, um, interesting while he was trying to brush that off and I'm not buying it at all. I, I, I should probably just avoided this. I don't know why, um, I guess someone must have asked him about it, why this came up. But it is not a good look for Goldman to have represented WeWork. And this was a horrible thing. And I think this goes back to why you see um, uh, Bill Gurley and and a number of other uh, influential VC investors promoting the idea of doing a direct listing as opposed to doing an IPO. This is the process of an IPO. It's just bankers basically you know, doing this and saying, oh, yeah, you know, it feels roughly right. How much credibility can I bring to the deal? How many investors, you know, how much demand can I generate from investors? Okay, yeah, the numbers, oh, uh, and, and we get a number. I mean, there are so many examples of what the IPO is listed at as being wrong, either under or over, and, and people don't like the process. And then the bankers get paid a bunch of fees, right? It's like one of those things, you know, whenever... Like I have friends, right? They'll be like, oh, I bought a nice car. And and then, and then in, in the trunk of the car, I got this nice designer luggage, right? And when you see the luggage, what you think to yourself is, damn it, I just got screwed. Because I didn't pay retail for that luggage. I paid 5X the amount of the price of that luggage. And you can believe me that the car manufacturer baked that into the deal. So whenever you see that these bankers are flying adam and the c-suite team around on private jets to go meet with all of these investors you're paying for that jet you're paying for like five jets every flight that you take that's worth fifty thousand or a hundred you're paying for five of those right it's absolutely baked into the fees the fees are crazy and that's why the direct listing model, I actually think, is a much better model. And now with the SEC, they're trying to actually rejig that, where you could actually raise capital. That's direct listing. You're not raising capital. You're just you're just floating your shares onto the public market. Um, so if you actually are trying to raise capital and do the float that's what the ipo does but now they're trying to rejig this so you have a direct listing it's kind of like a dutch auction right where it just it's computers it's buyers and sellers saying okay here's what i would value here's what i would pay for the shares it happens instantaneously there's none of this kind of human arbitrage that goes on much better model and uh and would have prevented goldman from from definitely taking one on the chin with this uh, WeWork debacle really cool report that was released by Andreessen. Andreessen's a top VC firm. They've invested in a they they love marketplaces. If you read this report called the Marketplace Hundred, um, it's a great analysis of um, of private marketplace companies. And Basically what they've done is they've ranked them by GMV and throughput. And what they say is, you know, the top 4 companies, Airbnb, DoorDash, Instacart and Postmates account for like 75% of the throughput from all the top 100 companies. You know, some people have said to me that this is like the this is like plat the ETF but for for private uh, you know for private marketplaces. The one it's true um, but the one difference is that, you know, Platt is looking holistically at all platform companies. Marketplaces are one subsect of this, right? So this is really looking at product marketplaces and service marketplaces. It's not looking at investment platforms, social networks, content platforms, you know, uh, chat, communication platforms, or development platforms, right? But there are a lot of market, a a lot of product and service marketplaces out there. Another couple interesting things, takeaways from this. So I think some of these companies aren't pure platform and they they state that in this, that there might be some hybrid, like for example, uh, I'm pretty sure that breather down here, number 75, I'm pretty sure they're linear. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they're taking on, so if if you need to have a space for a business meeting, They'll let you you know rent out a space for a few hours and have a meeting in in Manhattan or these different cities. I'm pretty sure though that they're linear in the sense that they are breather is is signing up a lease for these apartments or or for these kind of office spaces and then they're renting them out um but all that inventory it's not being contributed into the platform or or maybe they are, but it's a small part. I think pretty much they're seeding the inventory um with their own leases. And then renting that out, which to me is much more linear. Some of these, I think like up council, up council was on here. um, And and they just shut down. Interestingly enough, up council uh, was a marketplace to find lawyers. And I guess... I don't know. I guess. I guess the business w- wasn't going very well for them, and it's kind of been a nasty shutdown. I guess like they licensed their tech to to LinkedIn I, just to try and recoup some money for investors. Um, but uh, but now they have a shareholder dispute where a shareholder wanted to take it over, and you know, shutting these businesses down is never fun. You have some interesting companies. You have pretty much all the spaces represented. As they say, B two B distribution is not represented in here because the, the way they're tracking this is by looking at, uh, like credit card purchases. So, you know, a lot of B2B stuff is not going to go through, um, credit card purchases, going through other payment forms and mechanisms. But, um, yeah, it's a very good list. I'd implore you to check it out and, um, and see like masterclass. Yeah. Technically a platform highly curated though, right? Like the amount of people, you have Bob Iger making a masterclass, uh, about branding. right? So. It's not a totally open platform, but yes, but I'm sure they're also I don't know exactly what master classes agreements are with to capture supply. There's got to be probably some kind of like guarantee or 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 payment structure up front, so it's heavily curated. Is it kind of it's kind of like a hybrid platform, so there's some things that are conditional here the The interesting thing is that it 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 trails off pretty quickly. And so if you look at let go as number 100 or hear or shoot in childcare or splicer in office space, comparing that to uh, the top four of these doing, um, doing 75% of the throughput, that's pretty interesting. I don't think they have the Epic Game Store on here, which uh, we just covered last week on the show which they have valve which is a marketplace for games for pc games um and epic has actually gotten i think about 40 percent market share in a in a very short time frame like a year and a half i don't see them on here but uh no it's it's great that they're that they're putting this research together cataloging specifically marketplace businesses Um, trying to put some numbers and GMV against these businesses, although it's not, you know, it's not exact science and highlighting some different categories that you can, you can get some trends and they've done some interesting analysis. So, uh, definitely check it out. I think you'll see some interesting, uh, kind of like, yeah, I expected that. And then you might see some things that you may not have expected, uh, or new categories or new companies that, um, you weren't very familiar with. Definitely though, some unicorns, uh, like Airbnb, that, that we've covered, that will probably go public this year, um, or at least we think so. So let's see. Another topic that we get asked a lot about is this idea of build versus buy. And um, you know, my point of view on it is, if you're a traditional incumbent and you're looking out, looking at creating a, a new disruptive business, it's not really build versus buy. Although it's something you should analyze, it's most likely build and buy. Um, and so let's talk about how you could kind of think about these different approaches and and kind of the hybrid of the two, right? So typically when you're looking at a build from scratch approach, right, you're going to say, hey, um, I'm going to go, there's, there's a new business opportunity here. It could be Cannibalistic to my core business. I need to do this thing separate and away from my core business, give it some space, give it some autonomy. Uh, maybe you have like a labs or an incubator or some kind of disruptive group, or maybe you just give. You know a team very little time and very little money to try and go hack some stuff together and prove out the new business case right i think you got to do those hacks you got to have a team internally looking at this and building the business case irrespective of which path you go you need to get that market validation on your own with your people on the ground to really get those learnings i think the question is build versus buy or build and buy is when you think about really trying to scale the business and that's where I think most large traditional incumbents um, run into issues, right? If if you're really going to do something disruptive, if you're really going to do a new digitally driven business model, whether it's a platform or not, um, and and you've got a large, let's say, multi billion dollar company, you need the CEO involved to make that initiative successful, right? If you want to be able to tap into the intrinsic strategic advantages locked up inside the core business, and then the whole, the whole thesis to go do this new digital spin out company is that you have competitive advantages inside the core business. And by putting these two things together, you can now be successful in this new digital business. Um, In order to get access to those traditional, to those assets in the traditional business, CEO has to be involved, has to be involved Otherwise, there's just too many competing factions. It's not, to, it's not that these people are bad or, you know, are Ill or have any ill will against It's just everyone has, is so busy and they have their existing initiatives. That in order to cut through that and to prioritize it and to extract that value and make it available to the new separate entity, you've got to have the CEO involved. And for this to be interesting to the CEO, to deserve a 30-minute slot on a weekly basis on the CEO's calendar... It's got to get big and it's got to get big in two to three years. And in order for the CEO to agree to that and for the board to agree to that, you've got to be able to have some way to look at um, a a timeline for break even. How do I get to scale in a two to three year period of time? And how do I have some level of of comfort or confidence in when this thing could break even? Okay. Now, knowing that you need to solve for those variables... How do you evaluate build versus buy or build and buy, right? There's going to be building in any approach. if Unless you're trying to do something completely separate from the core business that doesn't rely on um, any uh, unlocking of intrinsic strategic assets from the core business and opening them up to the separate entity, okay, then you can disregard a lot of what I said, right? But assuming you do want to tap into that, which would be the prudent thing to do, right? Um, How do you get some competitive... You need every competitive advantage you can in order to do new businesses or any business for that matter. Um, So building from scratch, there's going to be some stuff that you have to build from scratch in any scenario. The question is, can you really go build the whole business from scratch? Uh, Do you have the team to do it that are entrepreneurial? that want to say goodbye to their existing comp structure and, and comfort in that comp structure and really go forge something new? Um, do you have the team in place? Do you have the ability to get to scale in a two to three year period of time? Use that as your barometer. Some companies that have com- have incubated businesses that do sh- share a build a totally build from scratch model but are from a traditional business would be what iac did with tinder um now tinder makes sense for iac because they they own match.com and they they own these kinds of dating websites um and they've they've owned them more for for desktop internet right but for tinder that really didn't tap into any of the traditional assets of the match group it was incubated by iac and then is rolled up underneath match and now they're looking at spinning things off and this kind of stuff but the timeline for tinder to get to scale again it was much longer than a two to three year period of time tinder was officially started in 2012 and um it was, it was. I think it was actually incubated in kind of in secret a little bit before that. So unless you have a longer timeline, I think maybe three to five years to get to scale, and the and and the executive team is comfortable doing that on that timeline, then I think that makes sense to go the build path. The other thing is, if there are no other, if, if you're very early on in the market, right? Like Tinder was very early on in terms of the number of dating apps in the space, right? So are there other tech startups already doing this or, or kind of doing this um, that, that could be viewed as a partner invest or, or acquisition target? If the answer is no, well, then you're kind of only left with the build from scratch option. And the assumption is that you want to validate that there is demand, that, that you're not too early, right? Because um, if there are no other tech startups that would be the first question that comes to mind for me. Well, why is no one else doing this? What am I missing here? Right? So if you can answer all those things and you can prove that there is interest on the demand or supply side or both, and then you're, you have a a much more, a longer timeline than say two to three years. And the executive team or the board or whoever needs to sign off on this is okay with investing, you know, at least five to $10 million a year in an initiative like this. Um, Okay, you know, that start that seems directionally making sense to me to go purely build from scratch. If there are other tech startups that are out there that have a head start, or or you know, you're trying to do a platform business, but there's linear tech companies out there that could help you bring some product functionality, help you solve for demand or supply or both, um, then I would implore you to really evaluate looking at partner invest or acquisition paths because by looking at these tech startups what do you get from that well you get a team that's already in the industry that already understands the industry and has passion you get a team that is comfortable with the risk reward variability that comes with doing a startup as opposed to finding and sourcing that team of entrepreneurs from within the company that do want to let go of that comfort level with nothing more than an idea or with, with, with not much validation, right? That's, that's hard to find. You get that in a startup. Um, you get some existing product, you get to see their traction. You kind of get to try before you buy. Right. Um, and you can then help to accelerate your journey with their technology, with their demand, with their supply, or both, and help figure out how to put those things together with, with the core assets inside of the company. So it's purely a a buy, invest, or partner option in, in terms of the build versus buy. If you're not trying to tie in any intrinsic assets of the core business and supercharge this separate entity, right? If you're purely just trying to find what are ways that I can use other technology to incrementally improve my core business, that's a very different solve, right? Um, then saying, I want to go create a separate digital platform entity. And how do I get there? That's going to be build and buy, Right. If it's just how do I incrementally improve the existing, that could be a buy, partner, invest. And you don't really need to have any kind of substantial internal build out beyond what your existing product teams are already doing. Does that make sense? Um, If you do want to try and do a completely new business from scratch and build it from scratch and you have the parameters that I'm talking about, then you could do that. But if you want to go do a new business from scratch on a more accelerated timeline, say two to three year timeline. Um, and help solve for a number of these things that to get you there faster with a higher degree of confidence with a break-even point that that's more realistic and faster then i think you look at a build and buy approach uh and that is a matter of kind of putting both of these things together how do i put the assets inside of the core business build that expose them and layer them into this separate entity that I'm either doing an initial partnership or investment in, or maybe I'm buying it outright or just setting myself up to buy it outright if those initial tests or partnerships or, or investments go well. Um, I now set myself up to go and, and buy that, that company uh, in full. So that's some of how I'd break down thinking about build versus buy uh, versus build and buy and, and how to think about sequencing those different models. Thanks for joining us today on Winner Take All. I will talk to you tomorrow.